just as our children will be dismissing, our nursery in the back is available, and our, our kids' class of Miss Tori will be in the classroom up front. I'll tell you what. I love hearing the sound of kids in church. You know. That's that's a blessing. It really is. I used to hear preachers say that before I was a dad, before I was an adult. I'm like, what do you mean? You hear some somebody crying or something? That's 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 not a good thing. And now I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm glad I hear that. Um, anyway, folks, let's take our Bibles and we'll go to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. I'll go ahead and, and tell you where where I am with this uh, in these next few verses that we're going to be diving into. Uh, where how far we get today will actually determine a couple of things. Um, even in our next service coming up here in, in an hour, um, what how far we get today will even determine that because I've got I've got two things prepared for the for the next service. Um, where we are today in the next few verses, this may end up going two, maybe three weeks. Um, r- really, it's, it's up in the air. I'm not, not sure how to tell you it's going to go. We're just going to see what the Lord does. Um, but it is a, a very important sub- subject. It's a lengthy subject. And so it may be we just get through one of them today and pick up next week. Um, if that being the case, I think it's still going to be good either way. But I am going to go ahead and preface with this. The thing we're going to be talking about today, or themes in general, um, they, carry, they carry a lot of weight. They're very uh, prevalent in our culture today. They're very, they're, very, um, they're very in our face, if that makes sense. This is going to be one of those topics where we specifically been start talking about sin. And sin is never a comfortable thing to talk about because sin is something that we can find in all of our lives. You know, there, there's no perfect person. There's not. And I think before we even get into this, one of the proper things that we have to have is a mindset about sin. I don't ever want to be a preacher that looks at a person and just because they've sinned, I'm like, oh, well, you've sinned. You must not even be a Christian. No, I would, I would never say that. I've heard preachers say this. Oh, I can't believe you would do that. Well, you must have done that because you're not saved. No. In fact, when you study the scriptures, some of the godliest men created, uh, committed some of the worst sins. I mean, David himself, he sought after a woman, committed adultery with her. One could even argue that that was rape and then murdered her husband. I mean, this was a man after God's own heart. So you find sin being prevalent in, in some very, very prominent men in the Bible. And so I want to preface that with this. God did not come to condemn the world, but to save them from their sins. That's why he came. He, he died on the cross because we sinned, not to not just be an accuser. In fact, the Bible calls Satan the accuser, doesn't he? But that doesn't mean that we're absolved from talking about sin. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he said, should we continue in sin that grace may, may abound? In other words, he's asking rhetorically, do we just get to keep sinning because we're forgiven? He's like, no. That, that, no, that's not, just because it's paid for doesn't mean you get to keep doing it. It's like he, he died on the cross to save us from our sin, so we no longer continue therein. So in order to do so, we have to listen to the teachings of Jesus Christ. When he says this is right, we do what's right. And when he says this is wrong, we need to accept that as being wrong and try to abstain from those things. And here's something else I think that we miss. I think we miss or we misunderstand just how easily it is to cross the boundary into sin. 
Let me give you an example. One of the best illustrations I've ever heard of what sin is, it's like missing the mark. You know, God has a mark. He has a standard. Now, if you remember, I asked this question. This would have been like three months ago. I said, what is God's standard? And the answer to that question is perfection. God's standard is perfection. Now, I got news for you. None of us are going to meet that standard. We're just not. That's why he had to die. So God's standard is perfection. And once we are outside of that standard, well, now you've crossed into the realm of sin. That, that's just how that works. Um, one of the things that I really enjoy doing, and I'm not that great at it, but, I'm, but I think it's fun, is I really love shooting. I mean, just, just for fun. It's, I can get in a place where it's quiet. I have something I'm focused on. My mind's away from stuff for a little bit. And you, you can do it pretty quick, too. You can take 10 minutes if you have the time for it. But I, I love shooting. And one of the things that I try to, you know, depending on the type of shooting you're doing, I've started trying to stretch myself and see how long my ranges I can get and that kind of stuff. And, you know, you try to shoot and you try to get groups. You want to see how, how close you can get those holes together and that kind of stuff. And then whenever you can get your groups actually in the bullseye, you're like, oh, man, that's just great. But the thing is, anything outside of the bullseye is, well, it's just that. It's outside the bullseye. If you're going to hit, you're going to miss. Folks, that's the way it is with God. He has given us a target. He has given us a standard. Either you're in the standard or you're not. And again, God did not give us these standards just so he could give us something he could point his fingers at us with. No. In fact, he wanted to show us what the standard is to show us just how much he had to die and pay for. And he did that just to show us how prevalent sin is in our life. The Bible says the law is our schoolmaster. It teaches us to show us that we need Christ. So when I look at this, whenever I preach on sin, I preach sin for the same reason that Christ did. Because he wanted to show us where that perfection is. He wanted to show us where the sin is. And he wanted to show us where that standard is. So as we begin to talk about this, what it's going to show you, it is going to, it is going to shine a spotlight on some failures in our culture. That's what it's going to do. We are absolutely going to expose some sin today. And it may be a situation where, and, and again, I don't know everyone's personal lives. I don't know what kind of sin every person's been involved in now or even 15, 20 years ago. I don't know. But bear in mind, whenever sin has been exposed in our lives, we have one of three responses. And yes, I said three. Either A, if sin is ever exposed in our lives, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to agree with what the Bible says. You say, Lord, you're right. Forgive me. And I want to make this right. And you can move forward. Number two, you can say, well, that's really not that big of a deal. I'm just going to turn my head to that particular scripture, and I don't have to listen to that. I want to keep doing what I want. Or number three, this could be a sin that was something long ago. It's already been bought and paid for. God has forgiven it. It's under the blood. And then you can relish in the fact that, God, you forgave me for that. Thank you. See, that's, that's our only responses to sin. So in no way do we ever see God giving us a rule just so he can point his fingers at us. No, God died for our sin. So here's, here's where I'm going to give you a quick title for this, this possibly message, possibly this series. If I had to give it a title, I would call it The Right Recipe. And I've, I've told you this before. Sometimes I like to bake. And I'm not that good at it, <laughs> but I enjoy it. Because sometimes, you, I told you this last week, I really like my sweets. I like to make stuff that's <laughs> desserts. Uh, and I remember when I was in high school, I, I started to try my hand at making biscuits. And with my biscuits, I really like to have country ham. How many of you know what country ham is? I've got like, man, wow, I'm going to have to bring you guys some country ham. Uh, it, is, it is a 
here I am talking about food again. It is a salt-cured ham. It is a, an actual hind quarter of a, of a hog that has been soaked in salt for like, I don't know, a year or something. It is so salt-preserved that they could put it in a cardboard box and mail it anywhere. And so it comes to you in a cardboard box. And man, you could slice some stuff off of this and you could fry it and your whole house smells like salt. Your arteries get hard as you're eating it, but man, it's good. Anyway, with that, I was like, because that's, that's the food I grew up with. I'm like, man, I need to learn how to make some biscuits. And I remember I thought to myself, I don't, I don't need my mama to teach me how to make biscuits. I'll look at the internet. So I went to the internet and I looked up a recipe about how to make some homemade biscuits. And I remember I printed it off. It's like, okay, you need flour. You need, you need milk and you need, some, you need some Crisco. I'm like, all right. So I went to the kitchen. I started making this. I'm like, all right, I got my flour. I measured it out, got my milk. I measured it out. I said, Crisco. All right, where's my Crisco? And I started looking around and I opened up uh, the, our Lazy Susan and I pulled out a bottle of, uh, bottle of this yellowy, oily stuff that said Crisco on the front. It was, it was oil. <laughs> so if you know anything about making biscuits, you don't use oil. You use butter or you know, some kind of shortening. So I mixed, I mixed the oil in there. I'm like, I'm re- so you're supposed to knead this? And it's like all sl- floppy and sloopy and stuff. I'm like, this, this, isn't, this isn't right. So I poured it into like muffin pans. And I threw it in the oven. I'm like, surely this is what, what's supposed to happen. And dogs, that stuff didn't come out tasting like pretzels. I mean, it was hard and it was crunchy. I figured out how to make something like a pretzel, but I didn't make a biscuit. Here's why. I had the wrong recipe. Or, or else I had the right recipe, but I didn't do it right. And it was only one thing. Only one thing was wrong, and it gave me a different end result. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible many times gives us a recipe for life. And with that one recipe, one little part becoming wrong could mess us up exponentially in the future. And then for the rest of our lives, we're trying to play catch up. And what I want to point out to you is this. It might be a point where God has forgiven us from a sin in the past and it's something that maybe we're even feeling the ramifications of today. If that's where you find yourself, please understand, our God is not a God that lives in the past. God has told us that when he forgives us of our sin, he separated us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. He forgets it and remembers it no more. So there again, when we begin to look at sin, if we find something that was in the recipe that was wrong from our past and we get forgiveness Folks, God has told us to look to the future. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So just because we find sin in our life does not mean our lives are over. It means we look at where we are, we address it, or if it's already been addressed, remember it no more and look forward. So a lot of introduction to get into this passage because it is a weighty subject, but I want you to have a right understanding before we jump in. So Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. As we're talking about kingdom living, living the way that God has showed us to live and showing that and presenting that to the world. And very, very often it's different than the rest of the world lives. Last week we talked about uh, agreeing with your adversary. Sometimes that means we have to be the one that goes in and asks for forgiveness. Let's start in verse number 27. Verse number 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. 
and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whoever, whoever, whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said of them by old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. And then he goes into some other things. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about the right recipe. And there's three things in here that I'm going to point out. I might even only get through one of them today. It's that with each of these things, there's only one. There's three things in here, and God says there's only one. Those are this. Firstly, you have to have only one heart. You have only one heart, and I'm going to explain that. Then I'm going to show you you can only have one set of eyes. You only get one set of eyes, what you're looking at. And then you can have only one marriage. There is only one in the sense that God has ordained that there is one man and one wife for one life. God showed us that in the Garden of Eden, and that's the way he ordained that to be. And so we're going to talk about how these things play out. The amazing thing that we see is this, and this is what we've been talking about in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew, God does such a great job, and this is the Sermon on the Mount where he's been preaching. He does such a great job of showing you what the law is. He says, hey, look, here it is. This is the law. Doesn't the law say this? And everyone looks like, yeah, 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 that's what the law says. And then the Lord has said, okay, your righteousness has to be, has to be better than that. Let me tell you how you actually ought to act. For comparison, remember what we looked at last week or maybe it was two weeks ago now? Where he said, hey, you, you have heard you're not supposed to kill, right? You don't murder. That's what the law says. And it was, oh, yeah, the law says don't kill. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to tell you if you were angry with someone without a cause, then you've more or less already come to the same place in your heart. Now, is there any law against anger? Well, no. The law is against murder. But in the heart, it's the same thing. The anger just hasn't come to fruition. So what is the Lord talking about here? The Lord takes the things that we know are the law, talking about the Old Testament law, the law of, the, the law of Moses. There are things in there where they were absolutely against the law. But the Lord says, no, now we're going to get to the heart of it. And the first one being this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Hey, everyone knows that. Everyone knew that in the law. Your wife is your wife, and you do not go outside of the bounds of marriage. The Lord says, hey, I'm going to show you where the true righteousness is, though. It's not about what you actually do. Let's take a look at where your heart is. If your heart is lusting after someone that's not your wife, then already your heart's in the same place. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. And ladies and gentlemen, this is something that I begin to see as we talk about. This is my, really my first point. When we take a look at this verse, and I want to talk about this very candidly, and I'm going to be very forthcoming with it, and I'll admit it's almost even an uncomfortable subject to talk about, but it's in the scriptures. This is something that has become so prevalent in our society that's not even hidden anymore. It's almost become common practice. It's standard. That, that's normal orders of operation. We don't even think about it anymore. And now here, to read something like this is so counter to the way the rest of the world thinks. This is almost what's odd. Yet, this is what should be held true, and this is what should be foundational, and the rest of it should be what's odd and what's different. So let's, let's unpack this. Verse number 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. What is adultery? Any kind of physical intimacy outside of marriage. That's what adultery is. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, that's why I said, number one, we're going to talk about having one heart. Your heart goes to one place. 
If you're a man, your heart goes to one woman. If you're a woman, your heart goes to one man. One. You get one heart. See, the thing is, we have taken this idea of where my heart goes and who I give my heart to. And, and that, is, that is such a distorted thing now. I, I, we're, we're having to back up in our problems where we see today in America. What, what are the problems on the forefront of our, uh, of our morality? What, what problems are on the forefront of the morality of America? Oh, well, we say, oh, man, we've got that one. Man, look at, look at the whole transgender debate now. And that is one of them. Man, look at, look at the whole abortion debate. Yeah, absolutely it is. Man, look at the whole, um, look at the whole homosexuality debate. Look at this debate. Look at this debate. Now, are those debates? Yes. But man, th the problem didn't start here. The problem started long before we ever got here when we decided that the home was no longer important. That's where it started. So man, we are backing way up to where God's initial standard was. Remember what I said God's standard is? What's God's standard? Perfection. God's standard is hitting the bullseye. Now, maybe 100, 200 years ago, we were just starting to get off by an inch or two. We were already missing the mark, and today we're missing it by miles. So we're trying to get back, and I just want to present to you what the bullseye is. So having your own one heart, if you're keeping notes under this, your first, my first, I guess, sub-point, if you want to call it anything, is your heart should and can only go to your wife, one place. You know, the desires of men and women are one another. They're given to us by God. And this is, this is where, if you were in our Sunday school just a few minutes ago, we were talking about the tongue. You know, God gave us communication. He gave us our tongue, and God says we ought to be using that for good things. The problem is, whenever God gives us something, mankind takes something that's good, and he twists it, and he corrupts it. I mean, that's, that's just what man does. Look at the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect place. Then Adam and Eve had to go and ruin it, and they corrupted it with their sin, didn't they? And now we're feeling the ramifications of that sin you know, 6,000 years later. But what I want to show us is this, this idea of, I guess you could almost call lust. I, I don't like, the word doesn't necessarily fit in the context of what I'm trying to say, but you'll understand me when I'm, when I'm about to say it. It is good and appropriate for a husband to lust after his wife. You, you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm having a hard time finding a better word for that. It is good and appropriate for a wife to lust after her husband. Those feelings and those desires of a husband towards his wife are 100% God-given. That is how we are wired. God made us that way. And it is 100% good and appropriate for a wife to long for her husband. Why? Because God made us that way. Man, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. That is something that you could even say is a gift from God. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not sinful. That's not terrible. But notice is within the bonds of marriage. That's why the word adultery is used. Because we're not talking about marriages or problems premarital. We're talking about problems right now within the bonds of marriage. He says it is considered a sinful lust when you're looking at someone that is not your spouse. When it's someone you are not married to. So let's look at this. And I've got a few things I want to kind of, kind of pull. Um, the best example I've ever used for this is like fire. Right now there's a fire at my house. Well, I hope it is. It's been a couple hours. I don't know. Anyway, I, I've, got, I've got a fireplace. And whenever wintertime comes, I love, I love starting my logs. Man, we start fires and we put it in there and it warms up our, our house. And right now I'm trying to do some extra things to get that heat put throughout the rest of the house. But we need a fire, don't we? Even if it's not a log fireplace, you've got a furnace in the basement. And that thing's going to burn natural gas. And there is a flame that keeps your house warm. Now let me ask you, is fire a good thing? Absolutely it is. 
man, we use fire to cook. We use fire sometimes to purify things. We use fire to warm our homes. We use fire to camp just for fun. Good stuff. But if that fire were to ever leave my firebox in our living room, it's going to burn my house down. Ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's the way this works. Within its proper bounds and within its proper place, that is a gift from God and it is to be used for good things. But within, without side, excuse me, when you leave the bonds of God's parameters, when you leave the bonds of marriage and you take that and you put it other places, it can burn your life to the ground. And here's something that I'm starting to see today. And I'm just going to start giving us some, some anecdotes. I'm going to start talking about our culture a little bit. And I hope I present this in a, a, an appropriate way. I told you last week, I didn't run this figure myself, but it was from someone else here that works in our county, that in our, in our own county right here in Sweetgrass, sexual assault cases from 2016 are up 500%. Like 500%. That's just in a few years. How? Why? Well, I could say we could probably go way back to this and say this isn't even a thought on anyone's minds anymore. The idea of physical intimacy between a boy and a girl, that, that even precedes, precedes love. Man, you don't even have to love somebody anymore. Man, you, you don't even have to be committed to this person anymore. This is, just, this is just something fun. It's just something we do. You know, no ramifications, no thoughts, no parameters. It's just, hey, it's just what we do. And then we're also seeing our boys, notice I say boys, from the time they are teenagers, they'll get to the point where they're 18, 19, 20, 21, they still haven't figured out that there's a time and point that they need to grow up. And they still see themselves as children. And they still put themselves in the circles of other children. And that's where some of these assault type things start coming from. They haven't figured out what it means to grow up yet. And so they're doing things that are designed for men. They ought to bring them into fatherhood. They're not even men themselves yet. And so I think this is absolutely a problem that, that we're starting to see that some of our generations have faced in the past, but now we're facing in a way that we've never faced it before. And it all comes down to we've gotten so far away from the bullseye that we don't even know where the thing is anymore. So as we start reading through this, I've got a few more things, and, and I want to try to stick to my notes. It's going to keep my, keep my mind in its proper place. So your heart can and should, number one, only go to your wife. I think another problem that we're facing today is this. Back to our scriptures. Ye have... Um, Ye have heard it was said of them by old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, I'll tell you something else that our men aren't being taught today. Our boys becoming men, they don't know the difference between lust and love. They don't know what the difference is. I mean, really, you, you, look, on, you look on TV and you watch maybe some sitcoms or you watch some kind of a movie and you see some, some guy, and you see some girl, maybe it's a romantic comedy, and they start falling in love with one another. And what's amazing is most of the time in these movies, there's this, and this was actually brought to my attention by another preacher. I want to give him the credit to it. There, there's this moment in these, in these series or in these TV movies where, oh, man, he, he drops the L word. He said he loved me. Oh, man, now all of a sudden there's this romantic relationship that's beginning to, to grow and to blossom. What's amazing, though, is if you watch this, most of the time, the, the physical part of that relationship came long before he even said the word, I love you. Now, now tell me, that's not backwards. So our, our, our kids today, they're growing up. They don't know the difference between lust and love. I'll give you the best definition I've ever heard of this. Lust will always take, and love will always give. 
That's the difference. Lust will always take, and love will always give. So let's, let's um, unpack that thought, and we'll put it into this scripture here as well. Let's say you've got some kind of a young man. He's, he's in high school. He's growing up trying to figure out what it means to become a man himself. And he, he's never been taught and trained on what it means to be a husband, and what it means to be a father, and what it means to grow up and be a man. And now he's starting to see, he's starting to get his eyes for females, which, by the way, it's an appropriate thing. A, a guy is supposed to try to find for himself a wife. But now that's starting to cross over into what can she do for me? What, what, can, I, what can I take from her? How is she going to make me happy? How is she going to fulfill my needs? It is all about me, me, me. And he is looking for someone to do something for him. Now, I'm going to tell you what our boys need to be taught. They need to be taught that when you find someone that you're going to love, you need to figure out that you're going to give everything you have to that person. That's what's missing. One of the first questions I ask whenever I go into a marriage counseling session, if someone asks me they want me to marry them, this is one of the first questions I ask. I ask this, okay, so why do you want to get married? You know, and most people are like, well, maybe that's just what we want. I'm like, why? And you, a lot of times you'll hear questions like, oh, well, you know, she's pretty. She, she makes me happy. I get butterflies when she walks into the room, all that kind of stuff. And by the way, good stuff, absolutely good stuff. I, I hope she makes you happy, and I hope you also say that you love her. That's a good thing, too. But my question is this, and this, this is what I always ask. I say, are you committed to fulfilling all of her needs? Are you committed to being the man in her life that is going to take care of her and provide for her till death do you part? Because this is, where, this is what our modern idea of marriage is. Hey, you make me happy, I make you happy. Let's make this thing official and see how far it goes. See, that's, that's how that works. But that is the farthest thing from marriage that's anything in the scriptures. In fact, when you go to Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And he commands husbands, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How much did Christ love the church? He died for it. So I think that's something that our boys aren't even being taught today. Hey, you say you love this gal. You're willing to die for her? Are you willing to give everything you have to see to it that her needs are met? Are you willing to live for her? Would you work for her? Would you care for her? Even when she is in a space right now where she's maybe not making you very happy, are you going to work your finger to the bone to make sure she's cared for? That's what our boys are missing. And they see this whole relationship thing as just the superficial, physical lust. And they have never understood that love is something that gives. Folks, Jesus Christ showed us what perfect love is. He did die. He, he, he wanted to pay for our sin. I don't have things down. But that's why he went to the cross. Is he saw that I had a need, and without me even deserving it or earning it or being worthy of it, he looked at us and said, they have a need, so I'm going to go fulfill it. And this is something else that I present whenever I do any kind of, again, premarital counseling stuff. I bring this to the table. I say, sir, ma'am, I want you to consider yourself to be in the worst possible scenario. For whatever reason, let's say your spouse ended up getting some kind of terrible disease, say they were in some kind of terrible accident, and they are now a quadriplegic for the rest of their life. They're, they're hardly even able to talk, and they can't move from the neck down. Are you still willing to stay committed to that person for the next 40, 50 years? See, that's a standard of love. If you love someone, you'd be able to say yes without even a thought. You were asked most of our young men that today to be like, oh, well, you know, we're, we're not to that point yet. 
Well, if you say you love her, you better be. They don't know the difference between lust and love. And what's presented today as love is honestly, it's just lust. It's all about what I can get. It's about what I can take. It's about what can happen for me and to me. They don't know the difference. So lust, this should be our standard, and this is what needs to be taught today. Lust will always take, and love will always give. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't think it's too much of a stretch for us to look at our society today and say, yeah, people don't know what love is. They don't, they don't have an understanding. They just, they just have the lust. So what are the ramifications of lust? Let's look at verse number 27. You've heard that it was said of them by old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in her, with her in his heart. So, this is something that I think we also need to guard our hearts with. Even if you are married and if you're not married, either one, we need to guard where our hearts go. You get one heart. My heart is given to my wife, and that should be it. That is where it ends. We haven't even started talking about the eyes yet. We're talking about our heart. How often do our, do our men go into the idea of marriage still keeping their, their options open? You know, it's the kind of thing where, okay, yeah, this is, this is where I am right now, but, but it's okay for my heart to pine after someone else or to consider someone else. Oh, man, yeah, the wife, she's the old ball and chain. You know, she's she's going to pull me down because you know, now, I'm, now I'm tame. I'm not wild anymore. We were never supposed to be there to begin with. Do you realize we were never even allowed to have that heart for anyone even if we're not married? So maybe a person even, again, plug this into culture. Even for a person that is still single, it is still inappropriate for them to have inappropriate thoughts for someone that's not their wife. I mean, consider this. Say you've got two single people, and here's this gal over here. God in his heart and in his plan has already got a man lined out for that gal and for them to be married. Now you have a man having lustful thoughts and lustful ideas against someone that is already, in God's eyes, waiting for someone else. You see, this, this whole idea of it's okay for me to look. It's okay for me to have ideas. It's okay for me to entertain thoughts. Man, absolutely it's not. Well, we need to have a right perspective on this. So I guess what I would say is this in our culture today. We're missing this thing that, that I was taught when I was a kid. And I thank I think God for this. I can remember when I was oof, 10, 12 or something. You know, when girls first started showing up on the radar for me, and that even being a thought, you know, when, when girls no longer had cooties, right? That, that's the thing. At some point, they don't have cooties anymore. That's good. I'm glad that, that men are supposed to think that way. I remember I started getting to that point in my, in my when I was growing up. I thank God for my grandmother, and this is one of the things she told me, and, and I, I can hear her voice saying this to me right now. She said, Trevor, the reason that you date is because you're trying to find someone that you're going to marry. And, and that is something that, that kind of stuck with me. And she told me why. And she told me about all the problems. You know, I, I love the little nuggets of wisdom from your grandparents. Another one she used to always say, Trevor, nothing ever good happens after midnight. Be home. <laughs> I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, and, and I love those things because there's so much truth in a lot of them. But she would always tell me, she's like, the reason that you date and the reason you would ever even consider talking to a young lady is because you're trying to find yourself a spouse. And then she considered that to my age. It's like, all right, you're 14. You ready to get married? Well, well, well no. Then what are you even worried about it for? Oh, yes, ma'am. You know. And, and that's, that's, so, that's so anti our culture today. But I think when we have young men and we start putting these ideas into our head, especially what culture says today, culture doesn't even talk about love. It only talks about lust, and it even promotes lust. When you start promoting the idea of lust to a young teenager, what's that going to do? 
automatically you're doing nothing but feeding the flesh and leaving completely out the part about committing yourself to someone and caring for them. It's no wonder that when we see these guys growing up, they have no idea what it means to be a husband. They have no idea what it means to love someone. They have no idea what it means to be a father and be committed to a relationship and committed to a home. And then we wonder what's happening to our society and why our homes are falling apart. And people don't even know who they are anymore. So you guys know me. I am very, very strong in the home, in the unit of a home, and a husband and a wife and them having children and them raising those children and fathers training young men on what it means to be a husband and mothers training young ladies on what it means to be a wife and presenting that to them. So that when they grow up, they will likewise know how they can be good fathers and they can be good husbands and they can be good wives and mothers. It's, it's a whole unit. And I will tell you, Satan has done such a good job of chipping away at our foundation right under our feet. And we don't even know it. See, all the stuff that we're talking about that we say are sins today, and by the way, they are, and we should talk about them. I think those are symptomatic of the main problem. The main problem is when we started missing the bullseye so long ago. And if, the Lord, if Satan can keep just chipping away at the home and keep chipping away at the foundations of what a home is meant to be, well, the man, there's no telling what other problems we're going to start seeing in the future. But it's all symptomatic. We have got to get back to God's original bullseye. We have got to get back to the original mark, which God gave us back in the Garden of Eden. He made Adam. He made Eve. He brought them together. The Bible calls them husband and wife. Don't ever let anyone tell you that Adam and Eve weren't married. They were husband and wife. The Bible says that in Genesis. They were husband and wife. And they were together in the eyes of God. They were married in the eyes of God. And they had children. They raised their children together. That's the standard of a home. Outside of that, we miss the mark. We miss the mark. So, folks, I, we've only got a few minutes left. I'm only into point number one. So I don't want to go into point number two. But I just, just kind of want to re rehash this for a moment. And then we'll have our, have our time where we consider these things before the Lord. I think lust is something that plays a bigger part in our society today than any of us really want to consider. Lust is something that has caused men to, to lose their eyes for their wife, I guess is something we should say, because I don't want to get too much in the eyes, because that's where we go into next. But when you have guys growing up, and they go through high school, and they go through their college years, and it becomes a pastime, to just talk about which girls are the ones that are the most pretty. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with objectively seeing that a person is attractive. Fine. But when that crosses into the idea of lust, and when it becomes just a generic pastime to lust after someone that's not your wife, even if you're single, they're still not your wife. When it becomes a generic pastime to entertain those thoughts and to not bring your thoughts into subjection before God, then that's something that I think our consciences are going to be so seared against it's not just going to magically stop when you put a ring on your finger. And so that's something that I think we actually have to, we have to bring into subjection. Ladies and gentlemen, there's also another big thing that we talk about today. And I, I don't want to hit on this too hard because I want to stay true to the scriptures. People talk about how, how lust is something that, that typically is on the men, and typically it is. Um, you know, people say, oh, man, you guys, you ought to be training yourself not to, not to look at women that way. You ought to be training yourself not to think that way. You ought to be training yourself not to do these things. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but there's two sides to this debate, and, and you guys have heard this debate before. You know, people say, oh, man, it ought not matter how, how girls present themselves to guys. It's the guys' problems to keep, you know, keep their heart where it's supposed to be. I would say that's a two-way street. If you go to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 31, the Bible talks about a virtuous woman. 
It talks about a woman that is someone that is more precious than even rubies. Someone that is more precious than even jewels, things that are valuable. It says, you know, this is some, one of the most valuable things that you can find. And the psalmist is kind of like talking to his son. Son, you need to find yourself a godly woman. So I would say this, and I know this might not be something that specifically applies to anyone in here, but maybe it does. When it comes to who we ought to be as men and women and our relationships as men and women, it is the job of men to be the men they're supposed to be. Yes, keep your thoughts under subjection. Keep your eyes on your own wife. And if you're not married, keep your eyes on God until God gives you a wife. And then, ladies, it's your job, likewise, to be the virtuous woman that God has caused you to be and has created you to be. You are someone that God has designed and prepared for another man. I believe God absolutely has someone for you. I believe God has a plan. I do. And I believe God will show you who that person is as long as we can keep our eyes focused on him first. So people say this issue, oh, it's just the men's issue. Oh, well, and some of the men will say, oh, no, that's the girl's issue. They shouldn't be presenting themselves that way. No, it's not an either or. It's a both and. It's not an either or. It's a both and. So men, and I guess I speak mostly to the men because of the way the scripture is written because I am one. But it's our job to only have one heart. Your heart goes to one person, your wife. And that's it. And the Bible says that if we have trained ourselves to have eyes for other people, yeah, I might not actually step outside the bounds of my marriage. But man, my heart did. My heart did. I, I think it should be a weighty thing on our hearts. And it ought to even hurt our conscience to be able to see another gal that's not my wife. And if any feeling starts to brew in there, I ought to stamp that thing out immediately. Because God's commanded me not to have lust after someone that's not my wife. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is so big on the home. It's so big on marriages. And it's so big on us having strong homes and having strong marriages. And again, these scriptures aren't there written for us to say, oh, look, you stepped out. I'm going to strike you. I'm, I'm angry with you now. No. In fact, God already went to the cross and shed his blood to pay for that sin. And that's what God wants. God wants to forgive us. And he wants us to be strong. He wants us to have strong homes. And so what I want practically, I'll just give you this last little nugget and I'm done. What I want for us practically is this. I, I don't talk about it much, but there is a word that I use, um, and it's used in its proper way it fits. I think we all need to recognize our own capability of our sin. That's what most people don't realize. They don't realize their own capability of sin. A lot of people think, oh, man, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I would never do X. I would never do this. I would never do that. And so what we do is we never even build up a fence when there's a four-lane highway not 10 yards from where I'm standing. You see, we can look at that all day and say, yeah, I would never do that. But look at how many people in God's word did just the same thing. I talked about David a few minutes ago. David, the man after God's own heart, the same guy that smacked that giant in the forehead. He raped a girl and murdered her husband. Man after God's own heart. So men... Here's what I want to tell you, and I speak this because I'm a man. Ladies, take the principle and apply it um, appropriately. We need to figure out ways to protect ourselves from ever crossing the line. We need to stay away from as far as the line as we can possibly be. My wife will tell you, if there's ever a gal that wants you know, some kind of biblical counsel, she has some kind of a question, my wife knows this. What I will always do is I tell my wife, hey, this gal is, is asking some questions. She wants to meet with me. She wants to go to the church. Will you come to the church with me? I don't, I don't have a sit-down one-on-one session with a girl if my wife's not there. 
I just don't. Now, she might not be directly involved in the conversation, but she will be around, and she will at least be in the, in the area, in the room, or in the building, or something. I'll, I'll never be alone counseling in an intimate position with a lady. Why? A- am I saying that, oh, man, you, you must really struggle with that? No, I'm doing that so I never will struggle with that. See how that works? Put up walls. Build parameters. Make lines so far back that if you never cross this line, you'll never even have to worry about crossing that one. And it all starts in here with our heart. Yeah, we might not ever do it, but man, we've got to build walls around our hearts too. So, folks, we're going to stop there. And that was just the first verse. I had three points to this. But number one, we're talking about the difference between love and lust. God's standard and God's recipe, if you will, for this, for our home Number one, you only get one heart. One heart. Your heart goes to your spouse. Goes to your spouse. And if we can keep our heart given to our spouse, we'll never have to worry about any other problems coming in with it. So let's have every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. And with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I told you a few minutes ago that there is a, um, that there's kind of three responses to sin. And maybe you are in a position right now where some of the things we've talked about since we are talking about sin, say, man, there's, there's a scripture, and right now the Lord's squeezing my heart about something. By the way, I, I don't know. But if that be the case, there's one of three responses that you will have to that sin. And that would be this. Either one, if God has pointed out something in your heart. And man, take it to the Lord. Ask him for forgiveness. And the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Or, number two, you can ignore that sin and say, ah, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. And we can go our own way, and we can deal with the fallout from that sin later. Or, number three, it could be that this is something in your past that was dealt with long ago. And if that be the case, thank God for the forgiveness that he has already forgiven. And press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling God in Christ Jesus. God is a God of the future. He doesn't live on the past. God looks for us to continue on to the future. So keep pushing forward. God, I pray that you would help us to only have hearts for our spouses. Lord, if there's been untold damage in our society and our cultures today, the things that have done for us not being able to, to keep our hearts only given to one person, it's, it's commonplace today. But I pray that as your children, as children of God, we would live differently. That we would live opposed to the sin that seems so prevalent around us today. And Lord, I also want to take a moment to thank you. I thank you that you're the God of forgiveness and that you're the God of second, third, and fourth chances. And the Lord, we can always continue to move forward. So I pray that if you're dealing with someone's heart even now, the Lord, that folks wouldn't leave here today without getting things right before you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment, I'm going to have some music softly playing. And this is going to be a moment where you can just do business with the Lord right there in your seats. Has God, has God pointed something out to you? It might not be something anyone knows about because lust is even of the heart. Is there a lust in your heart somewhere that God is calling out? So I ask you, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to ask God to forgive you? Or will you move forward and continue on in that sin?
Lord, I ask you that as your people, we would be lights in our society. I know how the way that we think and the things that the Bible says is so much different than, than the way the rest of the world thinks. Lord, I just pray that we would stand strong in the scriptures and the truths that it gives us. Lord, help us to not be weary in well-doing and not be weary in doing the things that's right. I pray you help us to stand strong and to teach what's right to others. And Lord, we love you. and pray you just help us to live honorably before you and protect our marriages, protect our homes. Lord, I pray that you would protect our young people and may we be the example to them as they grow and they begin to establish homes for themselves. Lord, make us the parents and the leaders that we ought to be as well. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name. Amen. Well, folks, again, I, I know that topics such as this are a little, more, a little more serious and a little more at home, especially with where we live today. But, man, it's, it's so needed. If we could get these things right, I think we would be amazed at the way our entire society would be different. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll be in similar messages for the next couple weeks. They're going to be uh, heavy, but I promise you it'll be good. We, we need it. And, by the way, it's in, it's in the Bible, so there's no way around it. It's just what's there. We have to talk about it. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, as, as always, give us about 15 minutes. We'll be back in here together. Um, what we've been doing in our second service is I'm kind of going into a little bit of a series. I'm just calling common questions that Christians have. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things that come up scripturally. And people are like, well, what does the Bible say about this? And some of these will even be from questions that you guys have, have asked me about. Like, hey, what does the Bible say about this? I'm like, man, it'd be good to just do a talk on it. So I think today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, sign gifts and where those were in the, in the Old Testament. And what is their prevalence today? Does God still give people the ability to, you know, to do signs and wonders and that kind of stuff? Uh, we're going to specifically hone in on some, uh, some detailed stuff there. Anyway, I think it'll be good. So it's about 15 minutes and we'll be back. And guys, as always, man, we love you and we're always here for you. So we're dismissed.